Absolutely wonderful. What a Savior. What a Redeemer. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 135. The name of the message is Whatever He is Pleased to Do. Have you ever woke up in the morning and turned on the news or listen to the radio and hear the news? Sometimes, even though we know God's absolutely sovereign, said to yourself, what is going on? Even though we know God's sovereign. And that's our solace, isn't it? That's what we always come back to when we see things happening in the world and when we hear things in the news. Our solace as believers, we who believe, our solace is always to go back to the fact that God is absolutely sovereign. Now, unsaved people don't have that hope we have. So they see these things happening, and they're filled with fear, anxiety, worry, stress. Not that we're not susceptible to those things too, because we are. But again, the believer has a hope that we continuously go back to, which is Christ, and which is the fact that God is absolutely sovereign, and that He does whatever He pleases. Whatever He pleases. And a believer rests in this precious truth. We rest in the fact that our God is sovereign. Look at Psalm 135, verses 1 to 6. Verses 1 to 6. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O ye servants of the Lord. This is, this is what we're to do as God's people. We're to praise the Lord. And we do. We praise the Lord from a redeemed, regenerated heart. In our natural state, we couldn't praise the Lord. Not at all. But in, with a regenerated heart, we, we praise Him all the time. We praise Him all the time. Ye that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. I like what Brother Norm says, all the time. All the time. In the bad times, of our lives, and in the good times of the believer's life. The believer can say in all times that the Lord is good. He's good. He's good. Sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant. And we seek to glorify and praise our great God. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself. In Israel, for his Peculiar treasure. God has chosen his people for himself. For himself. For I know that the Lord is great, 
The psalmist has been taught this. And that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth. In the seas and in all the deep places. Now there's a verse in scripture right there. Psalm 135 verse 6. That is ignored by most people who profess Christ. Wherefore, whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas, in all deep places. That's in providence, right? And that's also in salvation. God does whatever he pleases. And, and, and the believer has been taught this, haven't we? We didn't believe it before we were saved. No, we thought we did whatever we pleased. But the scripture declares that, that God does whatever he pleased. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth. In the seas, in all deep places. That covers everything. It speaks of his universal sovereignty over all things. And it ties in with, with Ephesians where it talks about he's, uh, everything that's visible and invisible is all under his control in his domain. Now in this world we have trouble all around us. Or so it seems. But the one thing that is true is that our God is absolutely sovereign. He's absolutely sovereign overall. Again, we turn on the news and it seems like there's trouble over here and we hear of a war over here. We have hear of things going on all around and and conflicts and, and even in our own country, right? Differing opinions over different things. But one thing is certain. One thing is certain. One thing never changes amidst all the trials that we go through in this world, amidst all the temptations that we go through in this world, amidst all the conflicts that are in this world, amidst all the, all the things we hear about in this world. One thing is constant and one thing never changes. That our God is God and that our God is absolutely sovereign. Never changes. Never changes. And there are many precious truths which are taught throughout the Word of God. But this truth is one that seems to gleam and radiate on every page of Scripture, beloved. That of God's divine sovereignty. God rules and reigns upon a throne of absolute and universal dominion. Directing, controlling, ruling, regulating all things after his wise and eternal counsel. You want to know what God's will was yesterday? Look what it says today in the news. Everything happens according to God's sovereign will. The scripture proclaims this. Again in verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven, above and in earth, and in the seas, and in all deep places. And it also proclaims this wonderful truth in the New Testament. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. You who are the redeemed of the Lord. 
May this precious truth sink deep into our souls about our God's absolute sovereignty in providence and in salvation and how He rules over all things. It will help us. It gives us strength and joy in the midst of things that occur in our lives. Knowing this precious truth. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to, 7, 4 to 9. According as He has chosen us in Him, that's being Christ, the believer is chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of... Man always talks about, man always talks about free will, don't they? You hear a lot of that in religious circles. You hear a lot about free will, but you don't hear a lot about what's said in this scripture right here. And this is the truth, beloved. According to the good pleasure of His will. His will. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Oh, and God's people give Him praise and give Him all the glory because of His grace which has been bestowed upon us, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood. And again, this is written to God's people. It's not written to the whole world. It's written to God's people, to a called out assembly, an ecclesia, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to his good pleasure, which he had purposed in himself. You see how this ties in with our text? Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven, in the earth, in the seas, in all deep places. Our Lord is great. And our Lord is, he's great and greatly to be praised. Let us ponder this morning, we who are the redeemed of the Lord, just who our God is. Just who our God is. We'll look at some things that it's pleased the Lord to do. Which will tie in with verse 6. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth and in the seas and in all deep places. We who are the redeemed will be given hope. Hope for our lost loved ones and friends. We don't know who the Lord's people are, do we? We have no idea. We don't know. He knows who his people are. And he will save his people just as he saved us. Just as he saved us. He'll not lose one. He will not lose one of whom he died for. Not one. Let's look at our text again. For I know that the Lord is great. And that our Lord is above all gods. Verse 5, verse 6. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deep places. David has been taught some things. As he says, I know that the believer in Christ, who's been born again by the Holy Spirit of God, he's been taught some things. And we're still learning and growing while we're here upon this earth. But the Holy Spirit has taught us some things, hasn't he? He's taught us some things. And the psalmist brings forth, that he knows that the Lord is great. Have you been taught that the Lord is great? Has God revealed to you that he's great? And that he's greatly to be praised? If he hasn't, I pray he will. I pray he will. Because he is great. 
And he is greatly to be praised. David has been taught, or the psalmist has been taught this by the Holy Spirit. And he knows that the Lord is great. He's the Lord above all gods. All other gods are figments of people's imaginations. And we saw that in the psalm that Brother Tim read. The greatness of God is, gives, gives the believer much reason for adoration for him because of his goodness and his mercy and his grace which has been shown to we who are his people. And the psalmist speaks of personal knowledge of God. He says, I know. Look at verse 5. For I know. This is personal. The psalmist knows this. He's been taught this. That the Lord is great. Has God taught you that? Oh. God has revealed himself to the psalmist. And he knows him by observation, by inspiration, and by realization. Because he's seen God work in his life. He's born again of the Holy Spirit of God. He's taught of God. He not only knows the greatness of Jehovah as, the, as Adonai or ruler and Lord, but he knows that he's infinitely superior to all, the, again, all the imaginary deities of the heathen. And in this time, the writing of the song, there was so many different gods, just as there is even in our time too. <laughs> just ask a Hindu. They have, I don't even know how many different gods they worship. They're all figments of their imagination. That's what they are. We saw that in Psalm 115. Oh, but the, the believer in Christ knows the greatness of God. He's been taught of God. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 33. Who is the one who has done whatsoever he's pleased? Who is the one who chose his people in eternity in Christ? Who is the one who sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for his people? Who is the one who has done this? Who is the one who does as, as he pleases? God. Jehovah. The one who is our refuge. And there's none like him. And his elect are safe in Christ. Moses had faithfully led Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. And the Lord is about to remove Moses from the scene and to raise up Joshua in his stead. Deuteronomy 33, to lead the people into the land of promise. But before Moses departs, he gives us this glorious statement about the God of Israel. He boldly proclaims there is none like the God of Jezron, Israel, who rideth upon the heaven in thy help and in his excellency on the sky. What is the God of Israel like? Our great God has not left this up for us to guess at, but plainly declares his amazing, mighty, and awesome character in the Holy Scriptures. Look at Deuteronomy 33, verses 26 to 29. There is none like unto the God of Jezron, who rideth upon the heaven in thy help, and in his excellency on the sky. And the believer says, there is none like unto my God. Unto my God. There is none like him. There is none like him. The eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. So the eternal God is the refuge of his people. And he holds us, beloved, with his eternal arms. 
and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, Destroy them. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon a land of corn and wine, and his heavens shall drop down dew. Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people saved by the Lord. The redeemed are a people saved by the Lord. Saved by the eternal God. The shield of thy help. And who is the sword of thy excellence? Excellency, and thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places. Beloved of God, let we who are the redeemed of the Lord draw great comfort from this text. That while we we are in this world, we are protected by he who is is the eternal God. And there is none like him. There is none like him in holiness. There is none like him in holiness. The scripture declares, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness? Exodus 15.11 There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. 1 Samuel 2.2 None compares to him in holiness. Beloved of God, let we who are the redeemed draw great comfort while we are in this world from the fact that there is none like our God for the glory of his power. Scripture declares in Psalm 89.8, O Lord God of hosts, who is strong, Lord, like unto thee? He has absolute power, beloved. Absolute power. God has no rival, no competitor. No one can be in opposition to his will. None. No one can be in opposition to his purpose. And no one can be in opposition to his power. He's God, and he does whatever he pleases. And this is our Savior. This is our God. Wherefore, thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee. 2 Samuel 7, 22. No other God beside him. None. Turn, if you would, to Micah. Micah. Beloved of God, let we who are the redeemed of God draw great comfort that while we are in this world from the fact that there is none like our God for the abundance of his mercy. For the abundance of his mercy. Now we can be merciful to people sometime, right? But our mercy that we give people is all tainted with sin. And sometimes we do things for our own motivations, don't we? But, but God, God sheds his mercy and grace upon his people because it pleases him to do that. And he's holy, and he's righteous, and he's perfect. And look at this wonderful scripture in Micah. Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee? Now remember, all all the gods of of the day, of, of their day, and even the gods of our day, you always have to do something to make them happy. You have to. But our God is pleased and satisfied in our Savior, in whom we're in, as believers. And look at this wonderful scripture here. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? How much iniquity? The believer says, all my sin. 
He's pardoned all my sin. And passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. How can he do that? Because his justice was poured out on Christ. The sinner substitute. He retaineth not his anger forever. Because why? He delighteth in mercy. There's none who compares to our God in anything. But here it says, he delighteth in mercy. There's none who compares to our God in mercy. None. None. And God delights to show mercy to those he chose. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 9. God delights to show mercy to those he chose. And he chose his people in Christ in eternity. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 4. And those are the ones whom Christ stood as substitute and surety at Calvary's cross. And has he not shown we who are the redeemed mercy? We've tasted it, haven't we? We've tasted that the Lord is gracious. We've tasted of his mercy, beloved. Oh, he's so merciful to us. Romans chapter 9, verses 13 to 16. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall then we... What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. And you know what? Please God to show mercy to Jacob. And the believer says, I'm just like Jacob. My, I ask you who are the redeemed of the Lord, why are you saved and so many others you know are not? Because it pleased the Lord to save you. It pleased the Lord to save you. And it is the eternal God who saved you And what comfort and rest the believer draws from this. What comfort and rest the believer draws from this. It can give the believer joy and comfort amidst the trials of this world. Beloved of God, let we who are the redeemed of the Lord draw great comfort that while we are in this world, from the fact that there is none like our God for the effectiveness of his work. Psalm 86.8 says this, Among the gods, there is none like unto thee, O Lord. Neither are there any works like unto thy works. There's no works like the works of our Lord. All all the believer has to do is ponder the mighty work of redemption. There's nothing even close to it in this world. Nothing. The Lord of glory has never tried to do anything, beloved. He's never tried to do anything. No, what he's decreed in eternity will come to pass. God's not trying to save people. Christ saved the people. And the Holy Spirit regenerates them and calls them out with an effectual calling. And they run to Christ. They run to Christ. What he has decreed in eternity shall come to pass. And he has always accomplished his purpose with great effectiveness, and no one will thwart him. No one. No one. 
The works of his hands are verity and judgment, and all his, all his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever, and are done in truth and righteousness. Psalm 111, 7 and 8. He has established everlasting righteousness. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 57, 2. He has established everlasting righteousness and complete salvation for his covenant people. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And we who are the redeemed of the Lord cry out with the psalmist in praise and adoration. Look at verse 2. Is this not the cry of every believer? I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. All things. We couldn't save ourselves, could we? Couldn't save ourselves. The Lord Jesus Christ has saved his people from their sins. And a believer can say with the psalmist, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. Let's go back to our text in Psalm 135 with all this in mind. And then I'd like us to consider five things that are plainly revealed in Scripture that it pleased the Lord to do. That it pleased the Lord to do. And I believe that we who are the redeemed of the Lord will glean great comfort from these precious truths. So we've seen, we've established that our God is holy and all-powerful all and righteous and that He does whatever He pleases to do. And this is not the God that's preached from most pulpits, but this is the God, Lord willing, that will be preached from this pulpit all the time, no matter who stands in, in here and preaches and proclaims the word of God. We believe in a sovereign, almighty God who does whatever he pleases. Who does whatever he pleases. Look at Psalm 135, verses 4 to 6. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself in Israel for his peculiar treasure. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord is pleased... That did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deep places. Note in our text in verse 4, it is the Lord who has chosen Jacob unto himself and for his peculiar treasure. And this is the first point that I'd like us to consider. Turn, if you would, to 1 Samuel 12, 22. 1 Samuel 12, 22. The first point I'd like to consider is this. It pleased the Lord to make you his people. It pleased the Lord to make you his people. It pleased the Lord that his elect would be chosen in Christ. It's a wonderful truth. It's absolutely wonderful truth. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people. Now there's a promise that we can just lay hold of, isn't it? Here, never, and we know that in Hebrews, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it what? It hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Oh. We know what we are. But the scripture declares it pleased the Lord to make you his people. God has been gracious to his chosen people. Israel of old provides us a good picture of God's sovereign electing love. And how out of all nations of the world he chooses his people. And it pleases him 
to do so. It pleases him. He passed by, think of this with Israel, he passed by all the other nations that were around them. Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. He passed by all other nations around them, right? They had the Greeks. He passed by the Greeks. They were left in their idolatry. He passed by the Romans. They were left in their idolatry. He passed by the Egyptians. They were left in their idolatry. He passed by the Hittites, left in their idolatry. And God chooses Israel. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It tells us of the mystery that's been hid from ages and generations. Colossians 1, 26 and 27. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. To who? To those he chose. To those he, he, it pleased him to make his people. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He passed by, and it says there, from ages and generations. He passed by nations and people. Didn't he? Passed them by. But this precious truth has been made manifest to his saints because it pleased the Lord to make you his people. Isaiah chapter 1. Turn if you would there. Isaiah chapter 1. I ask you this question. Did Israel merit his favor? Did Israel merit his favor? Did they merit his mercy? We know they most certainly did not. Look at Isaiah chapter 1, verses 4 to 6. And we see a picture of ourselves in our natural state. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, verse 4, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken anymore? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there's no soundness in it. We're sinners by deed. We're sinners by, by thought. We're sinners in our heart. We're sinners from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, beloved. You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even under the head, there's no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores that they have not been closed, neither bound up nor mollified with ointment. Now that doesn't sound like a people who merit anything, does it? Because they don't. Just like we who are the redeemed did not merit the salvation that we have in Christ. Look at verse, look a little further down. Verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet. Those spoken of in verses 4 and 6. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. 
complete forgiveness in Christ, beloved. They shall be red like, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. We who are the redeemed, we who are born again, do not merit this wondrous salvation, this wonderful mercy and grace which we have in Christ. We're just like the Israelites, aren't we? Just like them. We're mercy beggars, beloved. We're mercy beggars before our great Savior. And we praise His mighty name for having mercy upon us. And God has set His love upon us. God has set His love upon us, just as He did with Israel of old, because of a covenant He made with Abraham. And again, we do not merit God's love. He chose spiritual Israel unconditionally. Unconditionally, just like He chose Israel. There's nothing in them to merit His love, and there's nothing in us to merit His love. And the believer cries, Amen. It's true. And he said he set his love upon us. Turn if you would to Hebrews seven. He set his love upon us because of an eternal covenant of grace made with our surety. God set his love upon us because of an eternal covenant made with our surety, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was all in eternity. All in the Look at Hebrews 7, verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. So what strength and comfort the believer can glean from this precious truth that God has chosen us in Christ. And this gives us strength as we wake up each day to new trials and troubles and situations in this world. The next point I'd like us to consider is over in Isaiah 53, verse 10. It pleased the Lord. It pleased, remember we, our text is, the Lord does whatever he pleases. It pleased the Lord to bruise his son. To bruise his son in our place. It pleased God to do that. It pleased God to do that. Look at Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, Christ. He hath Put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Note it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And the word there in Isaiah 53 for bruise, doesn't mean like when we get a bruise on our arm. Doesn't mean that. In the Hebrew, it means to crush. Crush. Be crushed, be contrite, be broken. And it pleased God to do this for his chosen people. It pleased God. The Lord Jesus Christ dies on Calvary's cross. And it pleased God to do that as Christ dies on the cross for his people. Hmm. There's only one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. And he lives forever as our mediator. And in order to redeem those whom the Father had given him in eternity, in order to save his people from their sins, he must pay their sin debt in full. And this is what happened at Calvary's cross. 
Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 3. Substitution and satisfaction. The Lord Jesus Christ has made an effectual atonement for the sin, for all the sins of his covenant people. He is the propitiation for our sins, and it pleased God for it to be so. It pleased God for it to be so. Romans chapter 3, verses 24 to 26. Being justified freely by his grace, oh, his grace, beloved, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, through the shedding of his precious blood, whom God, and remember, remember in Isaiah 53, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Whom God has set forth would be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. You who are redeemed, marvel at this. Marvel at this precious truth before us. It pleased God to bruise the Lord Jesus Christ that you and I might be redeemed. It pleased God to do. that we might be justified before him. And what comfort and strength this can give the believer. And let us consider this. The swords of God's justice was unseed, right? It, it was unseed. It came out of the, the, they have a seed that they put a, put a sword into. It came out. It was unseed. Taken out of its scabbard. And it was plunged into Christ. It was plunged into Christ. But it's seed in him, beloved. It'll never be put back in its scabbard for God's people. Now, for the wicked it will be. It'll fall upon them. But for God's people, it's plunged into our surety. And it'll never fall upon God's people, the sword of God's justice. Because our Savior and our Redeemer died in our place before it. The next point I'd like us to consider is please God by the preaching of the gospel to officially call out his elect. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians. God's ways are not our ways. In fact, he uses the preaching of the gospel to effectually call out his elect. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 to 24. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words. Paul's not going to use fancy words. He preaches plainly, beloved. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. And remember who Paul is. He's a well-educated man. But he says, I'm not going to use words of wisdom. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Before the Lord saved me, I thought thought it was foolishness. Because I thought I was good. I thought I, surely God's going to take me and weigh me in the scales of justice. And and I'm not as bad as most folks, so, you know, no. No. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeketh after God. There's none that understandeth. 
And, and to the lost, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. <laughs> it's the power of God. beloved. Oh, how we love to hear the preaching of the gospel. Tell me more and more about Christ. Look at this. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. People think they're real wise. Some folks think they're real wise. But here, God says, I'm, I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the wise. The one who's all wise. Too. The one who has all power. I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. They perish in their own sins, thinking they're so wise. And if God just leaves them there, they're going to perish and go right to hell. Where's the wise? Where's all these wise men from all the Greek philosophers and all these? They're in hell. If the Lord didn't save them, that's where they are. Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the spirit of this world? Where's the one who shook his fist at Christ? He's in hell. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Precious words for the believer. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block. Why? Because they're so self-righteous. They think they can merit and gain the favor of God, but, but God's only pleased in Christ. He's not pleased with anyone else. Only Christ. And the very one God is pleased with is a stumbling stone. A stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. What a Savior. What a redeemer is proclaimed in the gospel. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the very thing that men calls foolishness is that which the Lord uses to save and to effectually call out his people. The preaching of the gospel. My. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And because it pleased God to do so, our great sovereign God in His infinite and perfect wisdom purposed to reveal the gospel through the very means this world calls foolishness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 to 7. For we preach not ourselves. The gospel preacher doesn't preach himself. I can't save anyone. I can't even save myself. But I'll tell you one who saved my soul. And I'll tell you the one who saves all who come to him. Oh my. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Oh, what darkness we were in at one time. But praise be to God, he's, 
He's commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. See, in religion, they tell you, look to yourself. You can do it. Keep going. Oh, we're right there with you. You're going to fail and fail and fail again. (laughs) Because we cannot do anything in our own power. We can't save ourselves. We can't keep ourselves. Oh, but beloved. Oh, but that the power may be of God and not of us. And this shows that our salvation is by the power of God. This ties right into Jonah 2.9, salvations of the Lord. By His power. Because it pleased Him to do so. He's regenerated us. He's called us through the gospel. When the gospel is preached, it is God who has purchased our souls at Calvary, and it is God who makes his sheep hear the voice of Christ. Through the effectual call of the gospel. How? Through the preaching of the word. Through the preaching of the word and the revelation of the Holy Spirit of God. Look at a little bit down in chapter 2 there, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. I actually have to turn over there. We're in 2 Corinthians. There. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. It's a revelation, beloved. It's a revelation. And it pleased God to reveal himself to us. To us. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So what a great comfort this can bring the child of God as we travel through again this world of woe. God himself has given us ears to hear and eyes to see him. And to hear his voice through the preaching of the gospel. And it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We can't claim nothing. <laughs> except our sin. Right? That's ours. Yeah. Oh my. Oh my. And the Lord has cleansed his people from all their sin. How? By his almighty power. And it's pleased God to do so. It's pleased God by the, to call his people out through the preaching of the word. Next I like point I'd like to consider that's plainly revealed in Scripture is it pleased God to save his people by his grace. Please God to do so. Turn if you would to Galatians chapter one. We'll see that it pleases God to save his people by his grace. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. Oh the boundless grace of God which has been bestowed upon God's people in Christ. And let us note as we start in verse thirteen that Paul having shown what he once was by nature, next proceeds to show what he is by grace. He runs up to the fountainhead of mercy, beloved, in declaring that it was God's free grace and nothing of his own deserving, no merit in him. And it's the same with everyone who believes. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. For ye have heard of my conversations in times past in Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. So he's telling us here of how he used to be before the Lord saved him. He persecuted the church. He had a zealous, he was zealous of the traditions of his fathers. But look at verse 15, beloved. But when it pleased God, 
Oh my. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Every believer can say, it pleased God. He called me by his grace. He called me by his grace. Look, what to what? To reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. It pleased God. It pleases God to save his people by his grace. It pleases God to do so. And note the words, says it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me. So let us remember that there is a time, a set time for Zion, the church, when God will call his lost sheep. And this gives us hope again for our lost family members and lost friends because we do not know who God's sheep are. We have no idea. We have no idea. We didn't even know we were one of them, did we? Before the Lord saved us, we didn't. And if he saves them, they'll be called by his grace. And they'll be called when it pleases them. When it pleases them. Oh, my. So when will a man be saved? When it pleases God. When it pleases God. Look over at Second Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy. I know I got us turning around a lot, but Second Timothy chapter one. Here's a scriptural answer. It pleases God in sovereign grace. When will a man be saved when it pleases God in sovereign grace to do so? Second Timothy chapter one verses eight to ten. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the affections of the gospel, afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, whenever it pleases him. Which was given us in Christ, look at this, before the world began. All planned and purposed by God, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, and hath bought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Salvation is always by the free grace of God and not by the supposed free will of a depraved sinner. And we looked at that earlier in Romans 9. In what comfort and strength, again, the believer can glean from this precious truth. Well, we go through this world of sorrow that my salvation is not dependent upon me. As the believer in Christ is saved by God's grace, and kept by God's grace, which is only found in our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have received mercy, we who believe, and not wrath. We've obtained mercy because it pleased God. Mm. Oh, my. The last point I'd like us to consider that's plainly revealed in Scripture is it pleased God to put all spiritual blessings in Christ. Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And then I'll have you turn over to Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 1 first, though. I know we usually go to Ephesians chapter 1 for this, but I'd like to go here today. Look at this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness 
dwell. It pleased the Father. It pleased the Father that all spiritual blessings are in Christ. It pleased him. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, he's made peace for us with God through the blood of his cross, beloved. The sinless one dying for sinners. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And so what comfort this can bring the believer in Christ. The fullness of redemption, righteousness, reconciliation is only found in Christ. And the believer stands perfectly complete in Christ. In Christ. Before God who demands absolute, absolute perfect satisfaction of his law and of his justice. God demands perfect, absolute satisfaction of his law and of his justice. Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 2. And may we just marvel. We are complete only in him. Starting in verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. And ye are complete in him. Isn't that wonderful? That's honey to my soul. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and put not the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That means you're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him, through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins, that was our natural state, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, born again, heaven forgiven you all trespasses. And look at this verse. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Oh, could you imagine all the handwriting of ordinances that was against us for our sin? How much sin does it take to cast a person to hell? Just one. But imagine the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Blotting out. In the Greek, that's to whitewash. It's gone. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross in heaven's spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. Some people say Christ is going to come back victorious. He's already victorious. He's seated at the right hand of the Father right now. He's already victorious, beloved. He spoiled princes and principalities at the cross. He destroyed the power of Satan. Our God is King. We are complete in Him. Complete in Him. May these precious truths bring you who believe great comfort and strength through this week. As we journey through this world, and may all glory go to our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you do not know the Savior, 
May God be pleased to grant you faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Your mercy and grace. We who believe are so thankful that it pleased You to save us and that it pleased You to send the Lord Jesus Christ to die in our place for all our sins and that the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and all for each one of us who are redeemed, it was such a, such a list, but they're gone. They're whitewashed. And we are complete in you, Lord Jesus. We pray that you'd be glorified and magnified through this message and through all the messages that are preached from here. And may we glorify you now in song as we close. And may you give travel mercies to all who head home. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>